Sorry, old sport, I thought you knew. This is the OK Gatsby colon, is Nick Carraway gay or what? That's I figured the subtitle of the <laughs> podcast would be. Yeah, this is our exploration of mainly that. <laughs> OK, 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 OK. Welcome to episode nine of the OK Gatsby. This is the big one we're talking about, chapter nine. I'm Kevin. I'm Terrence. This is the end, Kev. Of the book. My only friend. We, we made it. We made it. You made it. List, dear listener, thank you for riding along with us in our jalopy of literary criticism. Our big cream-colored jalopy. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. It's a... Uh, Obviously, I think this is it's rare that a book is known for its last page. <laughs> yeah, man, but this uh, wow. Uh yeah, Fitzgerald really sticks this landing. This chapter's great. Yeah, and I like uh cuz this whole like the book's over essentially. Yeah. Before this. And this is just Nick tying up loose ends, yes. which is a very Nick thing to do. Yes, is yeah. to go around tying up loose ends. I agree. Yeah, he wants to. He wants to understand how and why things happen. So I think right. We were just talking, like you get the we get the final sort of final thought on Gatsby, final thought on Wolfsheim, final thought on Jordan, final thought on Tom, final thought on America. Maybe certainly <laughs> no. We certainly get the final. I mean, like yeah. The the description of America here is uh, something really special. Can't wait to can't wait to get there and uh, draw all over that. Yeah, no, this is great. Yeah, but here's an interesting thing. It starts off right away off after two years. I remember the rest of that day. So this is a book with this, whatever this was to him. He didn't yeah. call it a book in the first chapter. Yeah, to which this book lends. Yeah, the 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 character to which this book lends its name. Yeah, it's very w- rare that a book. This is one of the few books that's aware of it's a book. <laughs> or yeah, the, yeah. Because most first-person narrator, it just has a weird conceit of, like, this guy's just telling a story. Yeah. But out loud. <laughs> I usually hate when it's like, you're reading a book right now. I, like, I usually hate that kind of meta thing, but it's almost like, it's not. It almost seems like, well, like, the movie has him, like, he, you know, the psychiatrist is like, right, if it makes you feel better, and he wrote. Yeah, and he was movie. literary in college. so I Literary. Guess so this is why. Yeah. But it's still like two years later. So two years goes by after this, after Gatsby's death. Yeah. Where Nick feels compelled to write this. So this really stuck with them, but it also means like it took like, I like I'm just curious at what if something happened after those two years where it's like maybe something didn't happen, maybe he didn't go get over it, and it's like this has got to be my last chance to really make sense of all this. He's got to like exercise this sort of uh, these events from him in order to move on. I mean, he definitely has distance from it. There's a, there's a, there's a passage about like um, about like these are things, by the way, that were not important to me at the time, but became important in hindsight. So he's definitely mulled this stuff over in his brain a lot. Yeah. So he's thought about this a lot for two years. Yeah. So as much as he liked to like to play like, oh, Gatsby was not that really that important. Um, most of my life was spent with Bonds and Jordan. Yeah, right. Yeah. And it's like, oh, no. Well, where's that book about Bonds? Yeah. Well, let's talk about. Yeah. I learned very little about Bonds this whole time. Yes. We actually Googled Bonds. We had to Google <laughs> Bonds to like, make sure we knew what they were. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's a stock, right? Well, it's not a stock. They wouldn't have to say stocks and bonds if they were just all stocks. Uh, they're different. <laughs> they're like a loan where it's like where you buy things and the government owes you money. 
Still not a great explanation. It's like when someone at a party tells you, like, I'm in uh, the... And you're like, oh, so, like, computer stuff? And they're like, sure, computer stuff. Yeah. It's like, yeah, we're like, okay, great. It's money stuff. We don't Yeah, get but it. also, unless you are a... Like a rock star, like who cares about what your job actually? I know, is? I know. I love like, when someone nice goes, "Don't to worry." Ask, about it. but it's yeah. like, do you really want to know what I do all day? <laughs> no, not at all. No yeah. one does anything exciting all day. No Even one like does. rock stars, if you're like, "What do you do all day?" It's like, well, most of the time I have to do press, and then I, yeah. I have to uh, go down to the studio and do very minor edits on very minor <laughs> moments in the twelfth song of the album. Yeah, not to mention the cocaine. Yeah, that's a lot of cocaine. Quite forget. That's the part that is not discussed enough about rock stars <laughs> as their drug use. So, the so, newspapers are calling it the murder of a quote-unquote madman, and everyone's just kind of like latching onto that sort of uh, rumor. So yeah, Someone it's just like, a, hey, this guy's crazy. Wilson killed Gatsby because Wilson's crazy. Yeah. Weirdly, Catherine steps up. This is the first mention of her since Chapter Two, I believe. But that's uh, Myrtle's sister. No, we had a no, little no, bit no, of it. Yes, last chapter. Yeah, yeah she was upset about fl- flushing <laughs> queens. <laughs> yeah, most people are upset when they find out they have to go to flushing. Um, <laughs> sorry, flushing. My listening. sister died. Yeah, and I had to go to flushing queens. <laughs> yeah, uh, anyway. but Catherine refuses to like give up any information. She she once says that she her sister did not go get no Gatsby, which is true. Yep. That's the that's the that's a true thing. But then she goes on to say that uh, her sister was completely happy with her husband. That her sister had been in no into no mischief whatever. Both those things are demonstrably false. Yeah. Both from like Catherine's perspective, obviously, but also even Mickey Alice is aware. <laughs> yeah. That her wife was the try the wife was having trouble and trying to leave. Right. So all this can be easily contradicted, and even Nick. Like, we talked about this. Like, he keeps saying he's an honest guy, and here's, like, a murder that happened, <laughs> and he's withholding evidence. And if it's time to be honest, now's the time. is when uh, someone was unjustly and senselessly murdered. There are three dead bodies now that Nick is privy to the raisin. Yeah. And he gives nothing to the police. Nothing at all. Uh, to protect who? Daisy? Daisy, I Tom? guess. Like his, yeah, right. He hates those people. He hates, yeah. So I don't know why not come clean. And even now, I guess, like, you think c- cases don't close after two years? Cold case. So like, any, even at the, even at the point of writing the book, right? Yeah, you could yeah. a cop would be like, "What? That's what happened? <laughs> well, we gotta arrest these people." <laughs> the most literary cop is like, "Wait a second. <laughs> yeah, he's just reading some weird basic. Basically, an old-fashioned blog <laughs> from a crazy man two years later in Minnesota. <laughs> just a blog. That's hilarious. Um, so yeah, uh, she convinced herself of it and cried into her handkerchief as if the very suggestion was more than she can endure. So Wilson reduced was reduced to a man deranged by grief, in order that the case might remain in its simplest form, and it rested there. Also, for me, from a plot point of view, it's easier to like not uh, to like just. Not have Nick involved in like a bunch of police crap and just, uh, you know, yeah, have but him uh, figure it's it out curious, for himself. Like, I know plot wise, yeah, just like I'm not gonna say anything. But you think like the neighbor who hung out with him would be questioned pretty hard about what happened? <laughs> yeah. Um. Let's see here. But also, I like that the fr- the verb reduced was, because even Wilson, Nick is aware to how how complicated Wilson is. Right. He's yeah yeah. It's more complicated than that. It's reduced to this thing. That's good. So. Right. Because, um, like, Nick is the man who knows the secret hearts of everyone. 
Yeah. And even Wilson is not spared that treatment. Yeah. Nick understands why Wilson did what he did. And even puts deranged by grief in there. And parentheses. <laughs> right. Because he, he wasn't... I mean, he was deranged by the complete unfairness of but, but what's happening. Betrayal by... <laughs> and, like, the... He, he knows, that like, like, that if he doesn't... If Wilson doesn't do something, then he's going to... That Cassie's gonna get away with this, like, and that's just—it's just too much for him to uh, to bear. He kill, he killed her. He killed her. That's all he was saying, right? Yeah. Will um, Wilson's Batman. Yeah, Wilson's Batman. <laughs> yeah. But all this part of it seemed remote and unessential. I found myself on Gatsby's side and alone. That's a weird sentence. Like this police procedural, on so, like making sure everything's handled justly is unessential. <laughs> it's not essential. All I care about is Gatsby. And I think on Gatsby's side and alone is a very good, it's kind of a good epitaph for this chapter, right? Epigram. That could have been the title of the book. Yeah, on, on Gatsby's, Gatsby's side and alone. And alone. So, yeah, we're going to get the lonely funeral later. Um, Daisy? So, yeah. Called, yeah. We call up Daisy half an hour after we found him, called her instinctively without hesitation. But she and Tom had gone away early that afternoon and taken baggage with them. Oh, yes, they have. Yes, they <laughs> I wonder if that's on purpose. <laughs> was baggage a slang back then? I wonder uh, if it had the same meaning as it does now, as like emotional baggage. But I mean, w- enough. To, suffice it to say, they've left. They've left their place for a, a good enough time. They, they, but they must be staying in New York or something, because we see we see Tom later in New York. But that was also a l- late. Well, it's the timeline of this is hard to track a little. Yeah, because he does mess with the timeline. Um. But yeah, so they're gone. So basically what you saw was Daisy being like, all right, guess we got to move oh, again. Oh, but it says like half an hour after we found him. So after the after half an hour after Gatsby's body was found. So they moved, they were they left town after Myrtle died. Yeah, right. So they're already out of town. They're like, I can't cuz he was sitting there waiting for the call. That was he and that was even said like he didn't believe it would come anymore. Yeah. But he was still like maybe she'll call. Yeah. But she, she was like, let's get out of here. <laughs> yeah. Smart. Uh cunning. Yeah. So he goes looking for Wolfsheim as well. So it's kind of like he's trying to gather up. He's Gatsby's just trying to find friends. like whoever's like important to Gatsby. Yeah. And he goes to Wolfsheim's office, right? Yeah. So he calls in. So he keeps. He feels guilty, driven by like you got to find someone for. Me. He literally imagines Gatsby saying, "Look here, old sport. You've got to get somebody for me. You've got to try hard. I can't go through this alone." Oh man. So Nick is like racked with guilt. Like this probably, and this is weird. Like he was in the war, like in a big battle. Yeah. So he's seen death before, from far more honorable men. <laughs> <laughs> Point well taken. Yeah. So like, it's not just death. I think it's just the isolation that's getting to him. Because there's no well, one. He that, loves Gatsby, yeah, dude. He's in love with Gatsby. Clearly, like no one goes to this far length for like a neighbor. At least give me the fact. I mean, like, listen, if you're an argumentative uh, high school freshman, give me the fact that he is enamored of Gatsby. He he thinks very highly of Gatsby. He is um, close with Gatsby. He loves Gatsby as a friend, minimum. Yes, but even like the dad, his literal father comes in. And he doesn't let the father take over. <laughs> yeah, he's still the point person of this funeral. Yeah. Um. So let's see. So yeah, he, Wolfsheim, no go. They can't find him. Wolfsheim sends a note. Are we there yet? Uh, we're just a paragraph away. Yep. 
Uh, he he didn't couldn't find uh, his parents. He he wasn't sure if they were dead or not. And then the only picture of Dan Cody. Uh, so like, he, Gatsby has no record of his parents at the uh, at the house whatsoever. Yeah. So that's like he so obliterated his past that like even his parents. I know. I feel bad for this dad once we meet him. It's like he seems like a good enough guy. He seems like yeah, like a normal yeah, Midwestern good-hearted, dad. Uh, and he was so proud of his son. It's really sad. I know. And then they try and send a letter to Wolfsheim, uh, and Wolfsheim sent wrote back with this: "Dear Mister Caraway, this has been one of the most terrible shocks of my life to me. I hardly can believe it that it is true at all." Such a mad act as that man did, sh- did should make us all think. I cannot come down now as I am tied up in some very important business and cannot get mixed up in this thing now. If there is anything I can do a little later, let me know in a letter by Edgar. I hardly know where I am when I hear about a thing like this and I'm cl- completely knocked down and out. Yours truly, Meyer Wolfsheim. And then hasty, addenda beneath. Let me know about the funeral, etc. Do not know his family at all. <laughs> yep, Wolfsheim is shocked and he can't come down for the funeral, right? I cannot come down now. Well, this is weird because he says, like, let me know about it. Yeah. But later he says, like, I don't do funerals. <laughs> yeah. He's, it, this is like a pre-flake, you know, when someone texts text you, like, oh, for sure, let me know where you guys oh, end I'm up. I'm so freaking broken up, man. <laughs> <laughs> so broken up, dude. Uh, let me know. Let me let, for, let me know if there's anything, anything I can do. Hey, when are you guys going there? Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll put that down on my calendar. Cool, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Let me know. Um, I might meet, meet up with you guys. And so here is, um, first, the big thing that runs through this chapter is Chicago comes up a million Keep times. Keep an eye on Chicago in this chapter. Very, here's very the first part. Yeah. Um, when the phone rang that afternoon in long distance said Chicago was calling, I thought this would be Daisy at last, but nope. But the connection came through as a man's voice, very thin and far away. This is Slagle speaking. Yes, the name was f- unfamiliar. Hell of a note, isn't it? Get my wire? There haven't been any wires. Young Park's in trouble, he said rapidly. They picked him up when he handed the bonds over the counter. They got a circular from New York giving him the numbers just five minutes before. What do you know about that, hey? You can never tell in these hick towns. All right, so one that's interesting is that Gatsby was doing a counterfeit bonds scheme. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Look, this is this is kind of cool because we, the whole book we're hearing, we're seeing Gatsby answer these phone calls. Like, oh, Chicago's calling, Detroit's calling Mr. Gatsby, uh, and he goes and answers them. And now we're privy to what these kind of phone calls were and they are criminal activity okay and so this is this guy got picked up in that small town small town for remember the line when he's like if he thinks detroit's a small <laughs> town he's no use for me oh wow so this is probably the same this has been rift. running through the whole book is yeah. that he's always getting calls from chicago and then mm. random places this is like that grift of like they found a small town a hick town hick town but the hick town was made privy to like here are some counterfeit bonds right right and right and uh we can also connect, connect this to the right before right before when they're arranging the meeting with daisy gatsby offers him kind of a uh sort of sort of like a deal if he wants it right like a quid pro quo like hey you want to make some money old sport yeah and ostensibly this could be the same grift yeah he's a bond salesman moves next door and you ask him if he wants to help with a little side business yeah of course and so he's just going to be off making authentic counterfeit bonds yeah like, that's yeah. what he's trying to get him yeah. to do mm-hmm. so gatsby so now nick is even aware that gatsby was trying to get him into basically about one of the highest levels of white collar crime yeah count straight up counterfeit uh counterfeit bonds not even counterfeit money counterfeit bonds i know very exciting um stealing from the government 
I think it was on the third day that a telegram signed Henry C. Gatz. So here we have the dad. Hank Gatz. Arrived from a town in Minnesota. It said only that the sender was leaving immediately and to postpone the funeral until he came. It was Gatsby's father, a solemn old man, very helpless and dismayed, bundled up in the long, mm. cheap ulster against the warm September day. His eyes leaked continuously with excitement. And when I took the bag and umbrella from his hands, he began to pull so incessantly at his sparse gray beard that I had difficulty in getting off his coat. So, like, this is like a distraught man who's, like, ripping at his beard. <laughs> yeah, on the point of collapse. Yeah, um, right. So he's in no position to kind of lead this thing. Nick's, Nick leads it, you know. Uh, Chicago again. I saw it in the Chicago yep, newspaper. I saw it in the Chicago newspaper. It was all in the Chicago newspaper. I started right away. So here we're at three mentions of Chicago right now. Also, Gatsby's famous enough for his murder to be in the Chicago, Chicago newspaper. Yep. It's a pretty sensational story, but it's still Gatsby's big yes, deal. Yeah, so it's a big deal. of Because he's not like he was rumored in New York. Not so only one journalist visited him. That one ambitious kid who was just like, you got any comments? Any comment, Mr. Gatsby? Um, but a rich man is killed. By a crazy guy. A madman. A madman. It was a madman, he said. He must have been mad. Yeah. Like, that's like, he must have. Everyone is asserting this is a madman. Yeah, this guy must be crazy. There's no way that somebody would, uh, you know, plan on killing Gatsby. Yeah, and I think that's part of it, too, is that everyone can't say, like, there was a logical reason for Wilson to kill this man. Yeah. Because the logical reason for, there was a logical reason yes, for it was. Gatsby to kill, yeah, it or was. Wilson to kill Gatsby. He believed that Gatsby had killed his wife correctly having an affair. <laughs> yeah, he correctly believed. Well, yeah, he didn't. He thought that maybe Gatsby was the affair guy, right? And then also Daisy drove the car. Gatsby yes. obviously should have done more to stop the murder. <laughs> Gatsby was a yeah, direct accomplice to this. And murder. if even if he had stopped the car, like I think he would have been alive. Because if he got out of the car and said like, "Oh my God, she ran out on the road. I don't know who she is." Yeah. Like he's alive that day, but. Daisy is crying and mm. but but everyone has to believe this is a madman even but the right. cops I mean I like the idea that like nobody so like if if you're going back to the old standby that that Wilson is the working class and Gatsby is the you know new money American dream Wilson kills Gatsby but no one can believe but also like that. all violence against the rich has to be done by crazy people. Yeah, yeah, you must and be nuts. Anyone that has a reason to hurt the rich is a crazy person. You're crazy. No one no one try it cuz you must be you must be crazy to even try it. They're nuts. Wanna, why would you want to kill the rich? They're so great. Yeah. <laughs> that's I think that's also part of it. Cuz madmen have said a What are you mad at how hard they work? Yes. Um let's see. Where have they got Jimmy? So they call he calls him <clears throat> Jimmy, which is like a Really sweet. That is like a very, like, oh, everyone is a little boy still to their father. Jimmy, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's the whole thing here, I think, with his dad is that Gatsby's still a little boy. Um, so um, you, this is kind of the wrapping up of kind of Gatsby's character. You get, you get one more glimpse into his past as he's a self-made man. Uh, let's see here. So I didn't know what you'd want, Mr. Gatsby. Gats is my name. So he even calls him Mr. Gatsby. Yeah. That's the like, transformation is... Is uh, of of Jay Gat of James Gats to Jay Gatsby is so complete that it it the, goes to his dad. Yeah, it goes back into his past retroactively. Yeah, um, Mr. Gats, I thought you might want to take the body west. And then he shook his head. Jimmy always liked it better down east. He rose up to his position in the east. Were you a friend of my boys, Mister? And then there's an exclamation or not an exclamation, but like a bunch of dashes to indicate he doesn't know uh, Nick's name. But the Nick says this, we were close friends. Yeah. 
which is true. But literally the last chapter, he said, I disapproved of him from beginning to end. I know. But there's no doubt that they were very really close friends. I mean, like looking for the cigarettes, hanging out, uh, helping him out right, right up till the end. He's the only guy to go to his funeral. Running home to make sure he's still alive. Yeah. Planning the funeral. Calling everyone to see if we could get him to come to the funeral. Very obvious that he's a good friend of Gatsby's. And so, yeah, I don't know where where this conflict is in him. A, a, a quote-unquote honest man is so hard to admit what he... Even the like basic friendship to him. Yeah. I think he may, he's, just, he's a dishonest man. He's got dishonest friends like Gatsby. You know, like, this guy's a great liar. So am I. Uh, let's see. Uh, he says if, if he'd have lived, he'd have been a great man. A man like James J. Hill, he'd have helped build up the country. James J. Hill was a railroad guy. He also had the nickname of the Empire Builder. And a connection to like the when the uh Wolfsheim said they hung out at the Metropole. Uh Wolf uh let's see. Like the empire that, that's the center of an empire. Center of empire so yeah. empires are a big part. So this is a new empire of this bootlegging crime. So Gatsby was building a new empire of the underworld. But also there's the connection of railroads and then gold digging. Like these were the original ways to enormous American wealth. Yes. Yes. All the old ways and here's the new way rum here's running. The new way, yeah. Yeah. And gambling. Gambling, uh, bond sa- bond <laughs> sales, um, and this is funny. Clip Springer calls. Oh boy. Uh, said this is Mr. <laughs> Caraway. I said, oh, he said I'm relieved. This is Clip Springer. I was relieved too, for that seemed to promise another friend at Gatsby's grave. I didn't want it to be in the papers and draw a sightseeing crowd, so I'd been calling up a few people myself. They were hard to find. The funeral's tomorrow. I said three o'clock here at the house. I wish you'd tell anybody who'd be interested. Oh, I will, he broke out hastily. Of course, I'm not likely to see anybody, but if I do, so already he's flaking. <laughs> yep, pre-flake. His tone made me suspicious. Of course, you'll be there yourself. Well, I'll certainly try. What I called up about is, wait a minute, I interrupted. How about saying you'll come? So this guy <laughs> who lived at his house for three months. I love it, yeah. And then this is his excuse. Piece of garbage. Well, the fact is, the truth of the matter is, so he's already stalled twice. yep. yep. That I'm staying with some people up here in Greenwich, and they'd rather expect me to be with them tomorrow. In fact, there's a sort of picnic or something. <laughs> of course, I'll do my very best to get away. So he's like, I can't go to the funeral. I got. I told some people I'd go there to a picnic. I got a very important picnic, and I can't miss it. I ejaculated an unrestrained, huh? <laughs> and he must have heard me, for he went on nervously. What I called up about was a pair of shoes I left there. Come on. I wonder if it'd be too much trouble to have the butler send them on. You see, they're tennis shoes, and I'm sort of helpless without them. My address is care of BF. I didn't hear the rest of the name because I hung up the receiver. <laughs> Pretty cool, Nick. Pretty cool. That guy was being a total jerk. So he calls this man who drunkenly lived on Gatsby's floor <laughs> for months and says, Oh, I can't go to the funeral because I got a picnic tomorrow. But, uh, but I left some shoes over there. I do own a few things that I don't mooch off of others, and one of them is my tennis shoes. And if you could just send them along to me. Yeah. Thank you so much. That's so funny. Like So selfish. How selfish everyone is here. Literally, and like, it's partly Gatsby's fault. He built a world of selfish people. Right. So, like, that's the lifestyle you live. That's what's going to happen. And then someone said that he was... Uh, that he got what he deserved, but he used to sneer most bitterly at Gatsby and the courage of Gatsby's liquor. But then also, like, Nick, you're someone who is very judgmental of Gatsby and the courage of Je- Gatsby's liquor. And everybody. He's just he's a judgmental guy. Um, so the morning of the funeral, I went up to New York to see Wolfsheim. 
I couldn't seem to reach him any other way. The door that I pushed open on the advice of an elevator boy was marked the Swastika Holding Company. No oh boy. So, yeah, once again, obviously, this is before World War Two, But it is weird that there was Holocaust and Swastika mentioned, like, within a thousand words of each other. Yeah. Again, proving our theory that Fitzgerald is a time traveler. <laughs> time traveler, really smart guy. He saw everything coming. But I looked it up, and <laughs> Swastika used to be, in general, a good way to make yourself seem more exotic. So, like, this is Wolfsheim being like, hey, this is an exotic trading company, and not the far more boring reality is like hey I, this is a front for the mob <laughs> yeah this is a front um but i mean like they're all jewish it's so weirdly uh ironic uh, you can't read it any other way now but it's uh not that way so like we have to try to think about how it was intended yeah um which is not having anything to do with the holocaust <clears throat> all right then it says nobody's in she said mr wolfshine's gone to chicago here's the fourth mention of chicago the first part of this was obviously untrue, for someone had begun to whistle the rose, the rosary, tunelessly inside. So the rosary is a religious song, but also it's like an irony of like here's more religion, done, with the separation of like the person practicing it doesn't actually believe it. Yeah, it's a Jewish man singing. Jewish man singing. He's whistling a, a Catholic song. I like the idea of him like hi- basically like, he's like hiding behind his mother's skirts. You know what I mean? Like yeah. he's just like um. Yeah. Please say that Mr. Caraway wants to see him. I can't get him back from Chicago, can I? So there's Fifth Chicago. At this moment, a voice unmistakably Wolf from Shimes called, or Wolf Shimes called, Stella, from the other side of the door. Leave your name on the desk, she said quickly. I'll give it to him when he gets back. So it's like she's like so good at lying. Yeah, it's it's like her whole job. But I know he's there. She took a step toward me and began to slide her hands indignantly up and down her hips. You young men think you can force your way in here anytime, she scolded. What's getting sick and tired? Well, we're getting sick and tired of it. When I say he's in Chicago, he's in Chicago. So that's six and seven. Chicago. He's in Chicago. I mentioned Gatsby. Everything changes here. Oh. Oh. She looked at me over again. Will you just, what was your name? She vanished. In a moment, my Wolfsheim stood solemnly in the doorway, holding out both hands. So just a very kind. Holding up both hands. Holding out both hands. Yeah. He drew me into his office, remarking in a reverent voice that it was a sad time for all of us and offered me a cigar. And then he says... My he goes on to kind of describe the Gatsby. way that Gatsby uh, went into his life. You know, he was out, just out of the army. He always wore his uniform because he couldn't buy regular clothes. Like, this is how poor he was. So interesting. Really, l- Rags to riches, literally. He would only be wearing rags if he wasn't wearing his uniform. He hadn't eaten anything. And so Wolfsheim really took, took him under his wing started using him kind of like as a connection to the American Legion. That's kind of what he describes. Yeah. Um, and then he ate more than $4 worth of food in half an hour. So this is 1919. I looked that up. $3,000 worth of food. Uh, no, I'm just no. kidding. $76 <laughs> worth of food now. It's quite a lot. So that he ate $76 worth of bar food. Yeah. For the bar food, yeah, that's a lot. He went to a billiards hall and ate $76 worth <laughs> of like burgers and fries and onion rings and mozzarella sticks. That's so much. Wolfshine does not want to go to the funeral. So he says Oxford again. Wolfshine's also like really impressed with Oxford. He loves the uh he loves the he loves the Oxford connection. So even he a Essentially a Jewish man, and Fitzgerald almost too much goes out of his way to make like, hey, the Jewish people are outsiders. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but even he's like impressed with Oxford. Yeah. Um. So yeah, but he Gatsby's involved with the American Legion, 
And so that seems to be like the general like wholesome front of everything they do. Right. This is kind of what we've been talking about is like it seems like, you know, like Wolfshine's the behind the scenes shady character and Gatsby's the shiny facade, which yeah. is of course what he's good at being a facade. And the American Legion for those who know is a, an organization of veterans uh, to help other veterans and do crimes. <laughs> Helps veterans get into crime. Just kidding. Uh, let's see here. So he, he right off he did some work for a client of mine up up to Albany. So like So yeah, he right away was like, "Here, can you go to Albany and do a job for a client of mine?" Doing a job. Yeah, so Nick wonders right away if this partnership had included the World Series transaction in 1919, which of course it undoubtedly did. He said like we were we were tied that closely from the beginning, so we're led to we're led to believe, you know, and if not speculate that uh Gatsby was also part of uh yeah. One, another Chicago crime. Hey, oh. That's the eighth mention of something Chicago. Chi-town. And then also the only crime that ever that Nick still thinks about is that crime. Yeah. Because Nick was complicit with like, not complicit, but he's seen three murders. <laughs> he knew his neighbor was a bootlegger and uh, a bond thief, <laughs> bond counterfeiter. And the only crime that he ever like really thinks about is his World Series crime. It's the only crime that ever hurt like the average American person. Yeah, because it just broke their faith. And baseball, the only very un-American crime. It's kind of a crime against the American, the American pastime. Yeah. Um, so then he invites Wolfsheim. Uh, you were his closest friend, so I know you'll want to come to his funeral this afternoon. He won't do it. I'd like to come. We'll come then. The hair on his nostrils quivered slightly. So now, right, here's again, like, okay, hairy nose, man. <laughs> gotcha. Well, yeah. Um, and as he shook his head, his eyes filled with tears. I can't do it. I can't get mixed up in it. He said, there's nothing to get mixed up in. It's all over now. When a man gets killed, I never like to get mixed up in it in any way. I keep out. When I was a young man, it was different. If a friend of mine died, no matter how, I stuck with them to the end. You may think that's sentimental, but I mean it to the bitter end. So that's an interesting paragraph. One, he feels obliged to say that I used to be good at going to funerals. Now I'm not. Two, what, two that implies that he's seen a lot of death, which he probably has. He's a criminal. Yeah. Um, three, he says, if a friend of mine died, no matter how. Murdered or not. Yes. Old age or shot down. Yes. Um, but also, like we t- talked about a little bit, like it makes a little bit of sense for this is a guy who lived a long time. And as a criminal, it's yeah. smart to stay away from other criminals' funerals. <laughs> oh yeah, it's not the way you not not. It's yeah, we, we you get it, you get why Wolfsheim's not going to this thing. I mean, this is pre-FBI, I think, right? This has to be, yeah, because it was the Treasury Department that solved Al Capone, so this is pre-FBI. Oh, gotcha. I th- right, yeah, no, because that was um, actually, I don't know. I don't know either. Doesn't matter, and we won't find out. It's not for us to find out. <laughs> Then he says, are you a college man, he inquired suddenly, which I didn't understand. <laughs> I mean, I take it as, like, he's looking for a new, I mean, like, he might be looking for a new uh, a new fresh face. But then he even says, for a moment, I thought he was going to suggest a connection. So Nick thought what you thought. Um, right, but he only nodded and shook my hand. Hmm. So let us learn to show our friendship for a man when he is alive and not after he's dead, he suggested. After that, my own rule is to let everything alone. Which is both, <clears throat> that's, like, fine. As far as like a philosophy of like, well, yeah, yeah you should let people it... know that you like them. Yeah. And Nick only does right at that last moment. Because I think this is the reverse of what Nick did. Because the only thing he ever said to Gatsby that was positive was, um, you're worth the whole bunch of them put, put together. together. Yeah, they're rotten. They're rotten bunch. 
And no, it's really just like your friends are way worse than you are. <laughs> <laughs> and then now he's being a good friend. Yeah, he's doing really selfless things. Out of his way to help Gatsby, but he's dead. And Gatsby would have never known. Yeah. I mean, I think he did a lot to help Gatsby when he's alive, too, with the uh, making sure he didn't get Yeah, he did know, help like, and... Daisy, Gelmar. Yeah, he helped him. Yeah. But this is like, I, I don't know what that college man thing is. I think it maybe it's like, are you a why? Are you also like a smart guy? And then he'd be like, okay, then I can say something smart to you. But like, I don't know. I think I think he like sizing people up, and he's trying to size Nick up. Like, what, what kind of guy are you? You're a college man. It's like that's, yeah. that's the category I'm gonna put you in. Mm-hmm. He obviously liked Gatsby for being sort of a college man, also. So I think it's yeah. kind of just a like that. Uh, yeah, and I wonder if maybe he didn't go to college, and that's why he admires these college people. Oh, of course. I mean, I doubt that. I doubt that Wolfstein went to college. I feel like he would have mentioned it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I'm a Harvard man, but hey, you're an Oxford guy. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, let's see. So he goes back home, and yeah. Mr. Gads walking up and down excitedly in the hall. His pride in his son and his son's possessions was continually increasing, and now he had something to show me. Jimmy sent me this picture. He took out his wallet with trembling fingers. Looked there. It was a photograph of the house. I love this. I love this part. He's looking. Gatsby's dad is looking at this photo of the house that he's standing in. Yes. And he's. He's more into the photo of the house than he is of the actual house, right? It, he had shown it so often that I think it was more real to him than the house itself, uh, which is obviously true because Nick has been at this house a long time, and uh, Gats knows that, and he's showing him a picture of the house that they are yeah. inside. Um, so a representation right. is more impressive to him than the actual thing. Right. Another another home run metaphor from Fitzgerald, right? So the the image the representation the um what people see in chicago you know what i mean like this is the idea of gatsby and his wealth much more important than the actual thing yeah reputation image and now he's walking through and it is a very impressive house but not as impressive of yeah. what his imagination was about this house exactly i think it's a pretty picture um Let's see. Gatsby bought his dad a house. Uh, then he pulls out an old copy of a book called Hopalong Cassidy. Hopalong Cassidy. So that's like an old cowboy story. It's just a bunch of short stories and novels about one character. It was like a tough guy, gunslinger. But also it's interesting because here's the total opposite end of America, the Wild West. Yep. The more I think the more genuine, the like the Mark Twain version of America, the more yeah. the Dan Cody version of America. Yeah. Of tough guys doing blunt things in a rough way. Cowboys are so American, right? They get stuff done. They work hard. They're sweaty. There's nothing in a cowboy that wants to be English. Like the East Coast (laughs) people want to be English. Exactly. A cowboy would look down on all these uh, Anglophile crap. And so once again, obviously, it could be just a book, but Gatsby could have picked any book. And he picked this cowboy book. book. Yeah. and it represented that Gatsby used to see himself as part of the Western tradition. And then he switched to become this, like, English East Coast version. Yeah, Oxford. And it killed him. And maybe if he had gone West or even been in Chicago, yeah, which is mentioned a million times, he would be an empire builder like James J. Hammond. Right, but instead he's like he's like a social Icarus. You know, he flew too close to the sun. Yeah. Wings melted. So anyway, we get this... Uh, uh, the what's written in the book is his like daily schedule and stuff. Um, that it's yeah, the word schedule. So uh, rise from bed six six a.m. 
dumbbells, exercise, and wall scaling, 6.15 to 6.30. Study electricity, etc. for one hour, 7.15 to 8.15. Work from 8.30 to 4.30. Baseball and sports from 4.30 to 5. Practice elocution, poise, and how to attain it <laughs> from 5 to 6. Study needed inventions from 7 to 9. So a lot of, it's all accounted for. I do like that he had practiced elocution. Because that was a big part of who he was, is this like very formal, rigid person. Yes. And he'd been practicing that since he was since a teenager. A kid. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I never saw any of these adven- inventions that he so badly needed uh, to study, uh, or did I see any of his electrical prowess. So, studying electricity, etc. Okay, and then, uh, yeah, it's a, uh, that's a weird list. Um, and then here's the, I like these, no wasting time at shafters. These are general resolves, shafters. So who is that's either a bar or a buddy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> either way, that's really funny that he would go hang out at Shafters. Yeah. No more smoking or chewing. So he used to well, he wanted to quit smoke and he would chew tobacco. Well, he still smokes. Still Smoked. still smokes. Yeah. But Gatsby used to chew tobacco. Gross. Bath every, every other, other day. day. That's so weird that that's what what an ambitious Midwesterner would do <laughs> is take a bath every other day. Read one improving book or magazine per week. Save $5, crossed out $3 per week. So $3 is still a lot of money, was it? So this in 1906, this is how crazy inflation is. 1906, $3 is $76 today. So that's $76 a week. Uh, That's roughly $300 a month, uh, which is $3,600 a year. I don't do that now. (laughs) That's teenagers. We certainly don't, yeah. Be better to parents. That's such a weird... Bittersweet one. So that's one that he did not do. Yeah, because he ran away from home. But I guess he bought him a house two years prior. But it's also kind of a bittersweet that also that's because it talks about how he was embarrassed by his parents. Yeah. And then even at teenagers, he's like, I need to be better to them. So yeah, at this point, maybe he's not as good to his parents as he ought to be, and he kind of never is. Yeah. Yeah. He's aware of it. Yeah. Let's see, because he didn't. I think he mentions. Um, because where is it? Because he says like two years ago. Okay. Um, yeah, he came out to see me two years ago and bought me a house. I bought me a house at eleven. Now, of course, we were broke up when he ran off from the home. But I see now there was a reason for it. He knew he had a big future in front of him, and ever since he made a success, he was very generous with me. So yeah, he did buy his dad a house. Yeah, which is kind, but also it's kind of like, like a I'm sorry house. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's also he visited two years ago. He, he visits his father like once every like seven years. Yeah. Yeah, it seems like obligatory. Yeah. Um, then we get to the uh, the funeral. A little before three, the Lutheran minister arrived from Flushing. So here's another. They had to go get their religion from a working class neighborhood. Yeah, they had to get it from the poor people. Yeah. Um, began to look involuntary out the windows for other cars. So did Gatsby's father. That's the sad part is that Gatsby's dad is like, where are all the people? I'm sure he was loved. Ugh. Um, Nobody comes but the servants. And the minister glanced several times at his watch. So I took him aside and asked him to wait for a half an hour, but it wasn't any use. Nobody came. Mm. About 5 o'clock, our procession of three cars reached the cemetery. And that's interesting because it used to be – that was a big part was how many cars coming in and out. Yeah, and Now cars, there's just three cars. Processions of cars. Three, just, now it's just three. And it's cemetery. raining again. Nice. Which is the only other times it was – the only other time it was raining was when he met Daisy. Yeah. So there, oh, I didn't even make it. So Hit me. death, Daisy was his death. 
So it's raining when he died, and it's raining when he met Daisy. So, okay. And there oh. was a storm coming, so it's like a bunch of rains coming, and it rains on the day his funeral. So it's like that funeral's coming. Yep, Daisy caused his death because Daisy was the Hamarsha that caused his tragic fall, and now it's raining again. Um, but here's a surprise. As we started through the gate into the cemetery, I heard a car stop, and then the sound of someone splashing after us over the soggy ground. I looked around. It was the man with owl-eyed glasses who, I'm, who I had found marveling over Gatsby's books in the library one night three months before. Our favorite character, Owl Eyes. There he is. The only one out of all the parties to come by. <laughs> the guy drunk in the library who was brought yeah, by didn't the Roosevelt's. Even, didn't even know Gatsby. Yeah. All, and all, the whole time he was drunk and just spent it trying to figure out what a fraud Gatsby was, and he came to the funeral. Right. Remember this guy? He made the comments about the books in the library. They're all real, he said, and he said that Gatsby had done a very good job completing the illusion. Um, he compared him to a very famous uh, playwright who was good at set dressing, uh, compared to a good set. However, the pages were not cut in those books, uh, which he or Owl Eyes remarked upon. Mm-hmm. Just there's a refresher on Owl Eyes, the man. Uh, so I couldn't get to the house, he remarked. Neither could anyone else. Go on, he started. Why, my God. They used to go there by the hundreds. Yeah, so I like this. I like. I think Owl Eyes functions as, as a kind of, um, I mean, the eyes, right? So like, as if we need to be told that eyes are a big deal in The Great Gatsby, right? T.J. Eckelberg, Dr. T.J. Eckelberg, right? So what Owl Eyes is seeing, he's got wisdom, he's the owl, whatever. He's seeing the fraud of Gatsby, right? So he's here to point out um, and who better to point out that hundreds of people came to his house every Saturday for a standing weekly party. They didn't even need to be told. No one needed to call them. No one invited them. But now when Nick Carraway has been trying to get people to come to this funeral and no one shows up. No one shows up. And the, except for allies who felt compelled to. Yeah. For reasons I don't even understand. I think I don't know. I think you wanted to like. I mean, to me, I think Owl Eyes is kind of like Nick, where he's like, I don't know what this. He's, he he enjoys studying the illusion, right? We like. That's a good point. He was trying to get beneath the surface of Gatsby. Yes, unlike most people at the party who are who are content to drink liquor and dance and and, and gossip and gossip and just indulge in the illusion being presented. Nick and Owl Eyes are there looking past it, kind of judging how good it is. Piecing together evidence yeah. and like literally looking through the books to see if they're real. Yeah, like you know, kind of like you know, tapping on the uh, on the glass a little bit. And then Owl Eyes remarks, took, took off his glasses, wiped them again, outside and in. The poor son of a bitch, he said. So also it, could be the title. Of the, the poor son of a bitch, yeah. The Great Gatsby <laughs> subtitle, The Poor Son of a Bitch. The Poor Son of a Bitch. So he's to be pitied, you know? So I think Nick and allies pity Gatsby. Whereas I'm sure the people who didn't go to the funeral, I bet they don't pity him, you know? I bet they see him as just like this rich guy who was gunned down by a by Yeah, a just a rich man. guy who held parties and was probably a German spy, uh, was killed by a madman. Yeah. Um, and here is a part about that I really love. Because it's it's one of the because Fitzgerald's from Minnesota. Yeah, he's a Midwestern man, has ties to Chicago, uh, and he's obviously a beautiful writer. But none of his books ever take place in Chicago, or yeah. and some of his stories take well, some of his stories take place in Minnesota. But this is one of the most beautiful things he ever wrote about the Midwest that I, I, I really relate to as someone who grew up in the suburbs of Chicago and then moved to Chicago when I was eighteen. One of my most vivid memories is of coming back west from prep school and later from college at Christmas time. Those who went farther than Chicago, 
And then once again, that's the ninth time Chicago's mentioned. Would gather in the old dim union station at six o'clock of a December evening with a few Chicago friends. Tenth time. Already caught up into their own holiday gaieties to bid them a hasty goodbye. So I have to take the union station uh, train to get home to see my parents. So this part, like (laughs) I can see everyone, every teenager right before the weekends, every college kid right before the weekends, hanging out in union station, waiting to go home for like that month long winter break that was at UIC. But even just in general now, just going to union station and the meaning it go like union station means you're going home. Yeah. That's what affiliation means to me. Um, Let's see. I remember the fur coats of the girls returning from Miss This or That's and the chatter of frozen breath and the hands waving overhead as we caught sight of old acquaintances and the marchings of invitations. Are you going to the Ordways, the Herseys, the Schultzes? Uh, So those are real names of St. Paul families that Fitzgerald knew. Okay, wow. And the long green tickets clasped tight in our gloved hands. And last, the murky yellow cars of the Chicago, Eleven. Milwaukee, and St. Paul Railroad looking cheerfully as Christmas itself on the tracks beside the gate. When we pulled out into the winter night and the real snow, our snow, began to stretch out beside us in the twinkle against the windows and the dim lights of small Wisconsin stations moved by, a sharp wild brace came suddenly into the air. We drew in deep breaths of it as we walked back from dinner through the cold vestibules, unutterably aware of our identity with this country for one strange hour before we melted indistinguishably into it again. That's my Middle West, not the wheat or the prairies or the lost sweet towns, but the thrilling returning trains of my youth and the street lamps and sleigh bells in the frosty dark and the shadows of holy wreaths, holly wreaths thrown by lighted windows on the snow. I am part of that, a little solemn with the feel of those long winters, a little complacent from growing up in the caraway house in a city where dwellings are still called through decades by a family's name. I see now that this has been a story of the West after all. Tom and Gatsby, Daisy and Jordan and I were all Westerners, and perhaps we possessed some deficiency in common which made us subtly unadaptable to Eastern life. So here it is. We, we discussed a little bit about like the sort of East-West paradigm that keeps coming up in this book, and here Gatsby goes, yeah, for sure, this is the story of the West. This is a bunch of Midwesterners trying to move to New York and failing. Right, and the only way... And like, us in the Chicago comedy scene. <laughs> <laughs> See that a lot. <laughs> Moving east and failing. Yeah, people... Yeah, hey. <laughs> and uh, so, the sto- yeah, he says essentially the story of, yeah, Westerners moving to the east and not being able to adapt to the eastern way of life. Um, yeah, so it, it is just like Midwestern values having to be changed to be fit in with the east... And literally, it killed three people. <laughs> yeah, the the European, the old money sort of thing, instead of like the hardworking kind of blue collar mid- Midwest. Because there's not a lot of old money in the Midwest. Yeah. Uh, or because I mean, everyone is industrial in the Midwest. It's That's where you went to make money. Like it's opportunity. It's, you go there to make money. Caraway family. There was a hardware store. Hardware store started in 1850. So not the money's not old enough. No. And it's also from a business. Yeah. And not from some weird royalty. <laughs> yeah. There's right. It's it's about railroads, it's about mining, it's about oil. You know, it's not it's not about uh stocks, bonds, eastern eastern money. Yeah. Um so even when the East excited me most, even when I was most keenly aware of its superiority to the bored, sprawling, swollen towns beyond the Ohio. So he goes on to um uh Describe West Egg in this very vivid image that I want to kind of bring up. Yeah. 
Um, West Egg especially still figures in my more fantastic dreams. I see it as a night scene by El Greco. A hundred houses at once conventional and grotesque, crouching under a sullen, overhanging sky and a lusterless moon. El Greco is this painter, does these really long paintings, yeah. really long forms that kind of are grotesque where it's like, you kind of like, this doesn't look like a real person, but it does and it's kind of creeping me out. Yeah, they're all very. They all look like Slender Man. <laughs> yeah, they all. Yes, yes, they all look like. Yeah, so it's like it's. They're very human, but they are also. He shows the inhumanity of the human figure. I think. In the foreground, four sol- solemn men in dress suits are walking along the sidewalk with a street stretcher, on which lies a drunken woman in a white evening dress. Her hand, which dangles over the side, sparkles cold with jewels. Gravely, the men turn in at a house, the wrong house. But no one knows the woman's name, and no one cares. This is presented without much comment. Yeah, it's just his fantasy of what if El Greco was going to paint West Egg, this is what it would be. And it's a drunk woman who's very rich because her hands are filled with jewels. Drunk, jeweled woman. On a stretcher being carried by four men who take her to the wrong house, but they don't care. Yeah. So right. It's I mean like wealth not caring. I guess is a uh, is a thing. A thing you know. Um, un- unintended consequences of wealth. I guess. But also the wealthy not caring about the wealthy. The wealthy. This is a, the clearly a rich woman. And they're just dropping her off wherever. The wrong house. Is there a deception there? Is it like a? I, I want to see. I want to see more deception. But I don't know if that's. No one knows the woman's name, and no one cares. So it's just like the East or at least West Egg has only a limited amount of oh West epith- Egg yeah of, we- of okay epith- so we're talking about West Egg here which that's important this is the new money people West yeah. Egg so it's just like this is all decadence because it's a drunk woman okay and decadence and then she filled her hands with jewels because that's kind of gaudy yep no one like old old money cold with jewels yeah yeah it's not gonna f- wear everything they own not so gaudy time. yeah. So, and they're holding up this rich woman. Because she passed out drunk, probably. She passed out drunk. Um, but one, she couldn't handle the, what she could buy. Yeah. Um, and then four men just have to carry this woman somewhere. Yeah. Because it's just mainly away from the party where she got drunk. Because she's probably bumming everyone out. And they don't even take her to the right house. They don't even know her name. They don't know her name and they don't care. Because that means no one knows her name because then... There were no one told them like who is she like we don't know let's just get her out of here yeah but they bring her to a house so I like I mean so like I I see something with the they don't know her name and they don't know where she lives but she is wealth she's she's all we know is she's drunk covered in jewels so she is wealth and they are playing with her they are they are they are using wealth maybe to their own ends but they don't really think about it very hard I don't know the new money thing makes it different for me but. Uh, this is a to me. This is a I don't know. This is a, this is wide open for this is a wide open for interpretation. And you made a good point that he might have just been trying to <laughs> describe his own book cover. Yeah, this guy is like painting a book jacket with words. Yeah, he's yeah. you know he's like a, like you know you go to a graphic designer and you're like I have a, I have a few ideas you know if you want to play around with it and then you give you give him a very specific <laughs> thing. Yeah, what if uh, like an El Greco painting of a drunken woman on a stretcher, <laughs> hand dangling over the side? But really, do whatever you want. Play around with it. Have fun. Okay. Um, so after Gatsby's death, the East was haunted for me like that, distorted beyond my eyes, power of correction. So that's a good parallel to when he had the power of correction when Daisy went to that first party and he's like, oh, I'd gotten used to this. 
And now he's no longer used to it. Yeah. Uh, next thing we have to next chapter we have to close is Jordan Baker. So yeah, so when the blue smoke of brittle leaves was in the air and the wind blew the wet laundry stiff on the line, so it's get fall. Uh, I decided to come back home. There was one thing to be done before I left, an awkward, unpleasant thing that perhaps had better have been let alone. But I wanted to leave things in order and not just trust that obliging and different seed to sweep my refuse away. He's got to close the deal with Jordan or like, you know, that's have also closure. rude to call Jordan Baker refuse. <laughs> yeah, that's true. The re- I mean, I mean, you could argue maybe that his, you know, his relationship with her is the refuse he's trying to figure out. Um, yeah, I saw Jordan Baker and talked over and around what had happened to us together. Right. That's a weird phrase over yeah. and around. So and overall, something is not being said. Because no one said, hey, I'm talking around. And our basic theory is that I was in love with Gatsby. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, right here, uh, if you're if you're tuning in just to find out Nick, Nick Carraway is gay, listen up because this is something. Some something happens here. Uh, you know, he this is where we find out. Um, Jordan says you did throw me over. Said Jordan, you threw me over on the telephone. I don't give a damn about you now, but it was a new experience for me, and I felt a little dizzy for a while. So there, one is like Nick broke up over the phone. So that's cool. That's like. The texting of the day. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, the phone is hard. You, you probably barely hear the person. <laughs> but also, this is another thing where, like, Nick Nick never trusts that people know that he doesn't want to... Like, he doesn't trust he's good at ghosting people. Because he basically ghosted the girl in Chicago, but he still is like, oh, I got to write a letter to make sure right, she knows. Right, that's true. <laughs> yeah, he, he likes wrapping it up. And he wrapped it up with Jordan. And he, he, before he said he didn't remember who hung up, but he he hung up. You hung up. He It was his decision to not be with her anymore. Mm-hmm. She brings up the conversation they had about a car. And yeah, that was the one. The, that conversation is very vivid in, the I believe, the third chapter when he come, first goes to the party. Yeah, I love that thing where it's like, I'm a bad driver, but it's only bad if I meet another bad driver. Yeah. And she says, she compares him to the other bad driver. Yeah, she says, uh, you said a bad driver is only safe until she met another bad driver. Well, I met another bad driver, didn't I? Saying Nick's a bad driver. I mean, it was careless of me to make such a wrong guess. I thought you were rather an honest, straightforward person. I thought it was your secret pride. Which he says it is a secret pride. And as we know, if someone is saying they're an honest person, they probably don't need to say that. They can just, yeah, right. And then he says, I'm 30. I'm five years old. I'm five years too old to lie to myself and call it honor. Oh, okay. I didn't realize he... So he specifies that if you are 25 or younger, you can lie to yourself and call it honor. Yeah, I think he's just making fun of like... Yeah, I know. <laughs> five years too old. But just so you know, Kev. I mean, me and Kev are on, are on opposite sides of 25, so... Yes. Uh, Kevin's younger. I could still lie to myself and call and it call honor. And call it honor. I uh, do. All whereas, the time. <laughs> whereas uh, I have to tell everybody that I... <laughs> <laughs> I'm too old to, to lie to myself too old to, to to... He lied to himself. So and you're always complaining about a thinning list of single men to me. To be around, yeah. Um, so we're we're thinking that like lying to himself, he's lying to himself about, about maybe the way he feels about where about about his uh, homosexuality. Yes, bisexuality. Because because we can't figure out like what where was he a bad driver to her? I mean, getting dumped stinks, but yeah. at no point was he like I'm gonna marry you yeah. that we know of. Right. And granted, he is the one narrating this, and the narrator can leave out whatever details and he, he wants. And he does. That's, the, that's one of the main, most famous things about this This book is the unreliable narrator. But I think what Jordan is upset about is she was led to believe one thing, and uh, Nick had never had any intention of being with her. And this is like a lot of these women where he lets them drift away. Like yeah. he gets, 
he's clearly a charming man. Like, well, at least he has a good vocabulary. He he's, <laughs> he's no, he's charming. He's charming. He charms him. And this was a famous golfer who could date whoever and really liked being with Nick. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I. And then he just lets her drift away, and like something about her upset her deeply. She even says, "I don't give a damn about you now," but like, you're careless. So he's accused of being careless. Yeah, even though. And the only thing that makes sense to me is that like, I had to. I keep having to be with women because I'm secretly gay. Like, yeah, I, I think. think he talked around, so something was said in this conversation that they either she was mad about it the whole time, or something that came up in that conversation made her mad, and it might be that he talked too much about Gatsby, and she figures it out. I think, right, I think that that's the story here, is that um, he was deceptive because he he made her feel like something was going to happen, and, and it could never have happened because of the way he is. He literally, yeah, he was like, it's my birthday, I feel weird. And then Jordan held my hand, and I was like, I feel good. Yeah. Like, And then the next hour, like five hours later, they break up. And there's something like – and she's even engaged. She says she's engaged. Yeah, right. So and she's, she's still mad about this. I know. Yeah, so that's where we get it from Jordan is that Jordan no longer thinks Nick's an honest man. It's very revealing of Nick's character, I think. That he doesn't even pretend to not – like she's – but he even says he's like a weird type of odyssey. He's like, I'm not lying to myself. I lie to everyone else, but I don't lie to myself. I think he just keeps saying he's honest, and he's just not. Yeah. So that's Jordan. Close the, the books close on Jordan there. Then we see Tom uh, in the city. Uh, he's he walks I like the way he walks is he walks in an alert aggressive way his hands out a little from his body as if to fight off interference his head moving sharply here and there adapting itself to the, his restless eyes so it's just nice to know that 100 years later guys walk the exact same way if they're jerks <laughs> <laughs> just as i slowed up to avoid overtaking him he stopped and began frowning into the window of a jewelry store so he's gonna buy something for a mistress most likely most likely suddenly he saw me and walked back holding out his hand What's the matter, Nick? Do you object to shaking hands with me? Yes, you know what I think of you. And that's a bold thing to say to a very big man. <laughs> very cool for Nick to be that bold, yeah. You're crazy, Nick, he said. Crazy as hell. I don't know what the hell is the matter. I don't know what's the matter with you. Tom, I inquired, what did you say to Wilson that afternoon? So Nick gets the, Nick calls him out for being responsible for Gatsby's death, for telling Wilson where Gatsby lived and who Gatsby was, who owned the car. Yeah. He stared at me without a word, and I knew I had guessed right about those missing hours. I started to turn away, but he took a step after me and grabbed my arm. I told him the truth, he said, which is interesting. He came to the door while we were getting ready to leave, and then when I sent down word that we weren't in, he tried to force his way upstairs. So Wilson went to the house. Wilson went to the, because he knows where Tom lives. Yeah. Because yeah. of, of the car. Um, so and he also, came to the door while we were getting ready to leave. So that, like, that next day, so he went to East Egg first. Yeah. So they were still there in the morning. Yeah, so the day Gatsby got killed, they were there, and they were about to leave. Yeah, that's yeah. pretty huge. Uh, I said that we weren't in. He tried to force his... So he literally had his servant tell Wilson that they weren't. <laughs> yeah, and he forced his way in with a gun on his hand. What if I did tell him? That fellow had it coming to him. He threw dust in your eyes, just like he did in Daisy's, but he was a tough one. He ran over Myrtle like he ran over a dog and never even stopped his car. So... One, the big line, he threw dust into your eyes just like he did in Daisy's. Again, tune in to so, Nick Carraway Gay Talk. Here it is. So Daisy and Nick felt the same way about Gatsby. They're both fooled by Gatsby's dust. Yes. Um, 
And then also, here's another dog metaphor. Look out. There's two dog metaphors. So he'd run over a dog. Yeah. So once again, dogs, these comfort of the poor are like something like, oh, he ran over Myrtle like he'd run over a dog. Like, who cares? One of the things I'm most proud of is, is my, my tracking of the dog metaphor in this book, honestly. Yeah, that was a big uh, thing. First sentence, you're like, what's the deal with this dog? This lost dog. And turns out dogs are pretty big deal, right? So he cried. So, and if you think I didn't have my share of suffering, look here. When I went to give up that flat and saw that damn box of dog biscuits sitting there on the sideboard, I sat down and cried like a baby. Again, the revenge of this dog. This dog. This dog is mistreated, um, and maybe maybe probably he, dead dog's at that dead. point. Because if he goes there and the dog's not there, the dog's dead. I like I like to imagine he's living. He's living in the city in the alleys, having a good time. <laughs> like all dogs go to heaven. And I wrote a short story, uh, kind of a spinoff, just about the dog. <laughs> and uh, but like he gets so he gets he gets Myrtle because of the the uh, the collar exposes Myrtle's affair, and the dog biscuits make Tom cry about Myrtle. So this dog really does have a huge impact on their lives. Uh, this is an interesting sentence. I couldn't forgive him or like him, but I saw that what he had done was, to him, entirely justified. It was all very careless and confused. And he had just been accused of being careless himself. Yeah. Uh, they were careless people, Tom and Daisy. They smashed up things and creatures and then retreated back into their money and or their vast carelessness or whatever it was that kept them together and let other people clean up the mess they had made. This is huge. I think this is one this is like hugely thematic of the book. This is like the landing has begun to be stuck. Yes. Okay? This is this is the this is the theme, right? So these rich people are doing whatever they want because they're rich and they have no consequences because they're rich and they they learn nothing. The appeal is that there are no consequences. Yes, that's their right. That's why Daisy could never not marry another rich guy because non-rich people have consequences. I mean, yeah. Wilson literally dies. Yeah. Uh, Myrtle dies. Myrtle dies. Gatsby dies. Yeah, like everyone, everyone who can experience consequences does. The butler's nose is ruined entirely. Yeah. Uh, I shook hands with him, so he finally does. <laughs> it seems silly not to. I like that. It's like yeah, fine. Here you go. Whatever. I'll shake your whatever hand. Whatever you stupid you hand. For I felt suddenly as though I was I were talking to a child. Then he went into the jewelry store to buy a pearl necklace, or perhaps only a pair of cuff buttons, rid of my provincial squeamishness forever. One that interestingly says pearl necklace because that's what he got Daisy. Yeah, a seven million dollars, like so expensive. Yeah. Yeah, and then or perhaps so he's like he's probably buying jewelry for women or for himself a cu- pair of cuff buttons. Like I don't know, he's just he's a self indulgent piece of crap, and yeah, that's cares? Tom. Yeah. So now we're back at Gatsby's house. Uh, right? So yeah, here's just the yeah the wrapping up last couple pages. Gatsby's house was still empty when I left. The grass on his lawn had grown as long as mine. So, like, no one's caring for this house anymore. One of the taxi drivers in the village never took a fare past the entrance gate without stopping for a minute and pointing inside. Perhaps it was he who drove Daisy and Gatsby over to East Egg the night of the accident, and perhaps he had made a story about it all his own. I didn't want to hear it, and I avoided him when I got off the train. I spent my Saturdays, Saturday nights in New York because those gleaming, dazzling parties of his were with me so vividly that I could still hear the music and the laughter, faint and incessant, from his garden, the car's going up and down his drive. One he's got to get away, yeah. Yeah, he can't, he's, got that, he's got PTSD again. One night I did hear a material c- car there and saw its lights stop at his front steps, but I didn't investigate. Probably it was some final guest who had been away at the end of the earth and didn't know that the party was over. That's like, the party's over. <laughs> the party is literally over, and this person's used as, as kind of like a viewpoint of that. He calls uh, Gatsby's house a... I went over and looked at that huge, incoherent failure of a house once more. That's right. so 
So brutal of a phrase. So cool. It's huge. It doesn't make any sense, and it failed. Right? It failed at like the, the only host of, of like Cribs being like, "Let's go see the huge <laughs> incoherent failure of a house that Lil Wayne has." <laughs> that would be hilarious if there's if there were that uh, uh, just like cynical, yeah. Um, right, so it failed at getting at getting Daisy. That was the that was the mission of that house is to get Daisy. And something for just my hardcore lit fans. Not really, just the two books you read in high school. Yeah, yeah. On the white steps, an obscene word scrawled by some boy with a piece of brick stood out clearly in the moonlight, and I erased it, drawing my shoe raspingly along the stone. So he erased, probably erases like the F word, and that's a big part of Catcher in the Rye is going around erasing the F words. Oh yeah. And Salinger was a huge fan of this book and Fitzgerald in general. Nice. So there's a little like direct line of yeah. of that of F words being rela- erased. Yeah. It starts here. But it's more like softcore lit fans, right? There's, 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 yeah, that's, that's the first level. Kids, yeah, high school fans. But still, it's that's, that's pretty cool. I didn't hear that before. This next paragraph is my favorite in the entire book. So, um, I like to run and read the last half of it uh, because I think this is like this is Gatsby or this is Fitzgerald just describing the American dream, which is one of the themes of the novel, and uh, he's imagining somebody seeing Long Island for yeah, the first. Yeah, the Dutch time. coming in and seeing Long Island. So here it is. Um, I became aware of the old island here that flowered once for Dutch sailors' eyes, a fresh green breast of the new world. Its vanished trees, the trees that had made way for Gatsby's house, had once pandered in whispers to the last and greatest of all human dreams. For a transitory, enchanted moment, man must have held his breath in the presence of this continent. Compelled into an aesthetic contemplation he neither understood nor desired, face to face for the last time in history, with something commensurate to his capacity for wonder. That's almost all one sentence. Right from um, right from its vanished trees is all one sentence with a great semicolon in the middle. Yeah, incredible. So this is like right. America represents unlimited opportunity. And it's anyone who could project an image onto something can make it in America. Wow! Yes, right. The it's the it's the image that's important. It always has been from it's, the beginning. America was raw potential. Yes. And whoever dreamers who had the gall could do whatever they wanted with it. Yeah, and like, and it was that way from the beginning. And I love the connection of like when they from when they first saw it as as a as just endless potential. That is still going on hundreds of years later. That 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 is still happening is like whatever you can see you can create you know like the the secret you know like the envisioning it that is the cynically the propaganda and more beautifully the myth and and poetry of america yeah you can you can you too can spring from the platonic conception of yourself in america this is the the fertile ground for which you can do that yes oh and then here it is, the last three parts. And as I sat there brooding on the old, unknown world, I thought of Gatsby's wonder when he first picked out that green light at the end of Daisy's dock. Green light. Green light. There it is. So again. the green light. So right. So the, the green, the green breast of the new world, green light, right there, juxtaposition. I mean, the green light. So yeah, Gatsby is he's, America. Yeah, and he's like, all right, here's this girl that I'm going to project all my fantasies onto and create some sort of wonderful relationship. It's just perfect symbolism. He had come a long way to this blue lawn, and his dream must have seemed so close that he could hardly fail to grasp it. He did not not know that it was already behind him, somewhere back in that vast obscurity beyond the city, where the dark fields of the Republic rolled on under the night. Gatsby believed in the green light, the orgastic future that year by year recedes before us. It eluded us then, but that's no matter. Tomorrow we will run faster, 
stretch out our arms farther. And one fine morning, at the same time, you ready? <laughs> so, so we, we beat, beat on, on, boats against, against the current, current borne back ceaselessly into, into the past. past. Woo! What a book. Okay, so even that second to last paragraph, um, we we the the year the future recedes before us we just keep chasing it it's all about the chasing and not about the getting like you know like a dog chasing cars all this stuff it's like just the meaningless climb yeah but it's also interesting that it's like it's both the past and the future because he's like oh i'm gonna get this tomorrow but it's already behind him yeah we so what do you mean already behind him born back ceaselessly into the past because daisy was already behind him he had already lost daisy yeah yeah right but he thought like tomorrow i'll get daisy so that's that's weird clash he's not in the present yeah he's not in the present that's because he's that's like sure. tomorrow i'll get my past back yeah tomorrow i will recreate my past right and that's such a and that's where the fatal flaw where yeah america's already always about the next thing yeah and if he had just envisioned greater heights than even Daisy, then he would have keep moving. Yeah. And that's his point. It's, it's a meaningless climb, but it's a climb that keeps you alive in America. Yeah. It's you the, want the next thing. The next thing, the better thing. We will run faster, stretch out arms farther. So that's him. So the orgastic future that year by year recedes before us. So like... Yeah. It's always out of reach because it's always behind you. Like a treadmill, yeah. Like, uh, and there's that one thing where, uh, yeah, he's like, you can recreate your past. And then Gatsby looks around as if, as if like, uh, looks around fervently as if like his past is uh, somewhere right close that he could that he could just grab. That sh- that stuff is in, is wild. It's perfect. And that's where it's, I think it's him saying, and that's where it's like, the two people that notably survive, relatively intact morally, are Wolfsheim and Nick. And Wolfsheim's always looking for the next opportunity. Yeah. And sometimes big opportunities that yeah. he pulls off. Uh, but he never, he doesn't go to funerals. He doesn't even think about that much of the past. Of like, yeah. he won't honor dead friends. He leaves it, be- leaves it behind. He's, he's kind of a present guy. He's just like, while they're here. Yes. I mean, yeah. Good. And Nick gets by by wanting almost nothing. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't even want the women that want him. Yeah. He just says, he tries it. He tries everything once, and then he moves on. Yeah, uh, and that's and that's that's who survives this book. Uh, Wilson wants a successful business. He wants a car, literally a car to sell. He just wants like a little bit of money. He doesn't, but he's kind of an empty guy. He doesn't want much. He has, he, maybe he doesn't desire enough to be to fit in this new America. I don't know. I don't know why Wilson had to go. I wonder. But that's it. That's that's who. I mean. That's the most famous sentence in American literature, pretty much. That's it. I mean, like, wow. Yeah, like, and, uh, yeah, what a perfect ending. Um, and that, so we, like, it's like, it's like, we all, you know, like, uh, we are all, we all be done. It's like, he goes from, like, you to we. It's all of a sudden, it's like, all of us. He zooms out. Yeah, all the way. As much as possible. As if you had to wonder if this was about just a, a man and a woman. It's not. This is America. Like, Fitzgerald, yeah, that's like 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 we're saying, like this is there's a reason this is a freshman year book where it's like, listen, no, 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 no. hey, idiot, hey, look, look at me, idiot. This is not, this is not, uh, we're not project- projecting our th- symbolism on this 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 novel. This novel is symbolic. It's trying to be symbolic. It succeeded, and he points out where he did it. You see that right there? I just, I just, I did yeah. an amazing. Remember when I made that symbol over there? <laughs> Pretty cool, huh? <laughs> Yeah, he put Best in like symbols for idiots, and then he put in like smaller symbols for yeah. 
but mainly it was like, look, <clears throat> green lights. Uh, I got one of the other ones. <laughs> I just called everyone idiots. <laughs> hey, idiots. Uh, green lights, the car, the house, uh, you know. Chicago. Chicago, East the Egg, dog. West Egg, yeah. the dog, um, the grass, the suits. Literally, uh, we haven't talked about shirts egg it's literally now it's like eggs become something eggs are potential eggs are just potential west egg and east egg are both eventualities yeah yeah something's gonna happen to an egg or not yeah there's so much it's literally just like a a a nice like a great romance story a great like friendships complicated friendship story a great secret gay romance story uh but then also like literally layers and layers of layers of like insight about the rich new rich old rich the poor working class america america religion crime baseball the <laughs> the far west versus the east coast the midwest yeah society money um relationships children violence drinking debauchery <laughs> servants it's, your past your self-conception yeah uh bootstraps everything right it's like it's incredible that that it's a both an amazing character studies so like nick and gatsby and daisy and tom and jordan are all given characterizations they all have arcs they all have believable personal human uh human traits but it's also it's a character study it's perfect perfectly character done but they also all have their own uh symbolic layers they also function as part of an allegory for America and for the American dream. Um, yeah, it's masterful. It's uh, it's a classic for a reason. Um, I'm so happy to have read it again. I, it always yeah. makes me happy. It this always, is the closest I've ever read it. Before. Yeah, me too. And it really paid off. Like there's, and I bet if we did this again, we'd find new stuff. I know. I'm sure we're not smart. Yeah, we've definitely been. There's people who spend their lives, careers are built on writing about this book. Yeah, yeah, because this is the major leaks, right? And ours will be as well, I'm sure. Uh, this will be the beginning of a, <laughs> of a long... People will study this podcast. I hope to be get an associate professorship out of this. I, I think oh. I deserve one, don't you think? I don't know. That would be great. Just send them this link. Yeah, just... Yes, yeah, professorship is really just podcasting. Hit me up. In a tweed suit, really. What is... <laughs> Tell you what, just give me half of whatever you're giving your adjuncts, and give me a dorm room. I'll sleep, I'll stay there. That'd be great. <laughs> hey, that's that's a sitcom premise right there. <laughs> a podcaster becomes a professor at a college just for exchange for room and board. <laughs> and hijinks ensue. Uh, hijinks always ensue. Well, man, so this will be our last. This will be our last uh, uh, sort of close reading chapter. Uh, we'll yeah. see you next time for a uh, movie episode. We'll talk about the movies. Kev, you in? All right. Good. And we probably will be drunk. I think we're going to drink some champagne. <laughs> Why wouldn't we? And we did our job. Let's, yeah, let's this is the, We basically did a, 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 a PhD thesis, or maybe maybe a, a senior thesis. <laughs> a first draft senior thesis. <laughs> <laughs> so let's drink some damn champagne. Yeah, we'll see you for the champagne episode. All right, uh, thank you guys so much for listening up to this point. Uh, I'm Kevin Lapkovich. You can find me on social media at what my name is, pretty much on all of them. Uh, also, both of us are at the Lincoln Lodge. Lincoln Lodge. Uh, which is at the Under the Gun Theater. 
Um, I'm Terrence Hartnett. Yeah. I'm available on Instagram at HaHartnett. And uh, on personally, find me on Facebook as Terrence Hartnett. I, w- I want to be one of those guys who has uh, 4,000 friends and needs to get like a new uh, a new page or something like that. That'd be fun for me, I think. Yeah. Thanks and for listening, guys. Yeah, thanks. Bye. See you soon.